Proverbs 15:29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayers of the righteous. When you pray, Christian, the Lord hears you. The Lord hears the prayers of the unrighteous as well. But I remember that one of the verse that the Lord used to save me is Proverbs um, 28, verse 9. Your prayers are an abomination before the Lord when you're not a child of God. The Lord hates it. It's like repulsive. Today I want to talk to you about prayer and specifically the purpose of God and our prayers or the decrees of God and our prayers. I was uh, going through Hebrews and I wanted to be in chapter 7 because we've been like more, more than two years in Hebrews and and it's a there are like uh, deep theology uh, um concepts in Hebrews, like if you're not uh, a Jew, which I don't think any of us is a Jew here, uh, you won't understand because they are, um, it's a letter to the Hebrews, right? So people coming from the, um, from a Jewish background, they left the, Jew, the, Jew, uh, the Jewish faith and they embraced Christ. But a few people were leaving Christ because of persecution. But as I was Going through this, and I, there are references in the Old Testament that you go and see what's going on, and and uh, and in the end of chapter six is re, it's a, there is a reference to Abraham and the promise that gave, that God gave him, and that promise is um, you know an encouragement for us, uh, an encouragement for the immediate recipient of the letter, but also for us today. And last time, that's what we saw. We saw the, that promise is certain. It's, it's a certainty that we have. It's a, it's a guarantee that we have from the Lord. And, and I went back to uh, Genesis and Exodus and saw like, how all this is unfolding. And that's why I, I think like, we need to um, pray uh, for the purposes of God and his promises to uh, be fulfilled. I have a quote from uh, John Piper. Um, he says, The creator of the universe with infinite wisdom and infinite power and infinite goodness is telling us who are finite, fallible, sinful creatures to ask him to do things that we think would be good for his glory and our good. And, um, and yeah, God purpose a few things, uh, many things, and um, today I want to go back to, before we go to chapter 7, I'll go back to the, the Old Testament, see in Genesis and um, Exodus the promise and how everything is unfolding and how this can encourage us to pray, okay? Uh, I want to take five minutes to read through the chapter, uh, the last few verses of chapter 6 and go um, to the Old Testament. So let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that we can come here and hear your word, Lord. We want to hear a word from you. Um, your, your church want to hear a word from you, not from me, Lord. Um, you have the word of eternal life. We want to hear from you, be encouraged in our faith, to pray, to seek you, and to have hope um, and a certainty in your promises. Your promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Um, so help us, help your church, in Jesus' name, amen.
So real quick, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 6. And I'm planning on maybe spending five minutes in the, the, from 13 to 20, seven or eight verses, and then go to um, the Old Testament. Uh, Hebrews 6, 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. So God sealed the promise to Abraham by himself. And he says, there is no one greater than God. God is the supreme power. He is thrice holy, 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 holy. He is separate from us. So there is no one like him. And he, an oath is like you take it by something greater than you. There is no one greater than God. So God sealed that promise with uh, an oath in his name. And um, God promised Abraham to do him good, to bless him, uh, to multiply him. This is what it says in verse 14. Surely I will bless you and multiply you. That promise is a, is a reference uh, to Genesis 22. That's where I went back and, and see what's going on. And, and that's a guarantee that God will keep his prov- uh, its covenant, a covenant that he previously made with Abraham in chapter 15 of Genesis. Right. So, yeah, that's why I went back and wanted to see how God fulfilled that promise to Abraham, to Abraham um, and draw some encouragement so that we can uh, be stirred to pray uh, for, good, uh, for the good pleasure of God. Verse 15, And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. And... Uh, I was reading to that, and I'm like, did he really wait patiently? Like, sometimes you read, and you, you know the story, right? And you know what happened. But God made a promise to him when he was 75. And it took 25 years before they had Isaac, right? Um, but you might ask, they had Ishmael, right? So what happened there? Um, So sometimes we think God will do something in a certain way because, you know, this is, oh, God said this, and this is how I think he's going to do it. And God has his purpose and plan, and he does something completely opposite of what we were thinking. Um, so God says, my ways are not your ways. My, um, my thoughts are not your thoughts. So now what happened? So Sarah was... Um, 65 when God made the promise. Um, and maybe 10 years later, she saw that she couldn't have ch- a child. Maybe the way of women have left her. Now she probably hit menopause that we, we would call in our day. Um, and, um, and then she demanded a child. She, she, hey, I have my servant, Abraham, give me a child through her. And I don't think it's, it's, it's sinful because back in the day, this was a, a custom. This was a culture. Um, um, if a wife could not bear a child herself, she could ask, assign that role to a servant of hers who would become the wife of the husband. And when the, the servant becomes pregnant, the child would belong to the first wife because the servant was her property, Right? Even though they sound kind of, you know, repulsive or like yucky for our culture, but that was the law. That was legal. I have a slave. I cannot have a child. I asked my servant girl to give me children. 
Same thing happened in Genesis 30. Rachel, right? Give me children or I die. And um, Jacob has had a righteous anger. It's like, I cannot take the place of God. And okay, then take my servant, Billa. Give me children by her. And when they had Dan, you can say Dan was legally her son. And he said, I prevail against my sister because I have a, I have a child. I know all this sprung up as a, out of um, envy and jealousy um, toward the, the, uh, towards Leah. But that was something they were supposed like they had the right to demand uh, children from, um, from their slave. But back to Sarah. She thought she was helping God, right? God promised Abraham, through your flesh, you're going to have a, an offspring, but through you. And she realized, okay, I can have children, so maybe God wanted me to have children through a servant. So, um, and the Bible says Abraham listened to her, and they had Ishmael. Later on, Sarah and had Isaac, and she cast out Agar, and the Lord approved it. And we, we see um, um, in Galatians um, 4.30, uh, when he says, like, the, um, the son of the slave woman versus the son of the free woman. We are son of the free woman. Um, but even Abraham was trying to help God because um, he was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old. Um, they couldn't have a child. Uh, I mean, they already have Ishmael. And in Genesis 17, he says this in verse 18, Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. That's what Abraham says to God, said to God. Basically, like, I already have a child, God. Can he be the, the one of the promise? Um, and God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an ever, everlasting covenant of your offspring. So they, they waited 25 years to have Isaac. They tried something legally. It was not a sin because, like, they understand from a human standpoint, this is what God wants me to do. Like, I want to have a child, um, like, from Abraham's uh, loins. But, yeah, the Lord said, no, God did something impossible. Two old people cannot have children. They have kids. I have one child, but... Um, which brings me back to verse 16, back in Hebrews chapter... Six, so God made the promise to Abraham and fulfilled it in his own way, like in a miraculous way, right? And, um, and God sealed that promise with an oath. And we're going to see why the oath uh, later on. People swear by something greater than themselves in all their dispute, and oath is final for confirmation. That's what we read in verse 16. So the oath was like, hey, case closed. We're going to do this. We signed the contract. No more argument. Verse 17, um, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his promise, he guaranteed it with the oath. Um, like I said, the oath was in chapter 22 of Genesis. But we have to see the progress up to this point. God called Abraham in chapter 12. Leave your father's house. I'm going to bless you. Go to the end. I'll show you. Chapter 15, 
he was he was scared because he, he was it was right after um, the battle with the five kings. God says, "Fear not, I'm gonna be your shield." He was like, "Okay, God, what what gonna what what are you gonna give me to show me that you I'm not gonna die?" So, okay, I'm gonna give you offspring, and they will possess this land. Lord, show me. God made a covenant with him, and then later on in chapter 22, God asked him for Isaac. So it's like, okay, I didn't die, but now the offspring you gave me, you want me to kill him. So, so God, after he like went to the mountain and tried to kill Isaac, God prevented him from killing him. And God says, I see that you fear God, but I want to give you that oath to give you a assurance that, yeah, you're going to have an offspring. You're going to have um, children as numerous as the stars in the heaven and the sea on the seashore, and the sand on the seashore. Um, so I'm going to read through verse 18 to 20 real quick, and then we go to the Old Testament. Verse 18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, to the two um, unchangeable things, is the promise and uh, the oath, okay? And that's why he used the, the word God cannot lie, okay? Um, God gave the promise. The promise of God will not change. And then God gave an oath. God cannot take an oath on bad terms or it would be false, right? So therefore, um, two things. God guaranteed that, hey, I'm going to bless you. The second part of the verse, who have, us who have fled for refuge, we may have a, a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And that's when I want to encourage you, we're going to hold fast to this hope with prayer. Um, uh, quickly, verse 19 and 20, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place Behind the curtain, verse 20, Jesus has gone as a foreigner in, on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Um, shortly, we can say Christ is our hope. He's our anchor. He died for us. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose again. And we have now a high priest in the heaven so he went, he ascended to heaven and sat at the right hand of God and interceding for us, okay? And he's not an, a high priest after the order of Aaron, but a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Next week, or next time, we're going to see that. Chapter 7, going to explain all that. But that's the promise and the blessing we have in Jesus Christ, okay? Um, that's why we have to have hope, that's why we have to uh, stay steadfast in the Lord. Jesus is the anchor of our soul. He is the guarantee of all the promises we have in God. Okay, so now we're going to shift to the Old Testament. So I, I said all this. I wanted to show you the promise of God uh, through Abraham. Um, we can be encouraged, but also Christ is the guarantee that we receive all the promises of God. And now, even when we sin, we know that he, he is interceding for us at the right hand of God. Now, 
Let's read real quick um, Genesis 22, 15 to 18, and then Genesis 15, 4 and 5, and 13 to 16. Genesis 22, 15-18. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of your enemy, of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Genesis 15, we're going to read 4 and 5, and also 13 to 16. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And God brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possession. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So we went to the progression already. 22 is a reassurance that you're not going to lose Isaac, you're not going to lose your offspring, okay, which is a, a confirmation for 15, chapter 15, where God made the promise, don't, don't, don't be worried for your life. You're going to live a good old age, and your offspring, they will possess the land. But God made a prophecy. They will go to a land, and they're going to suffer, but after the fourth generation, they will come back. So God prophesies that the offspring will be in slavery in the land that is not theirs. So let's read real quick in Exodus, uh, yeah, Exodus chapter, 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 chapter 2, verse 23 to 25. Are you still with me? I didn't lose you. So far, so good? During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, 
and God knew. So God prophesied that the offspring of Abraham will be in slavery in the land that is not theirs. And that prophecy came to pass. And you, if you read like, through the book of Exodus chapter 1, we saw that um, 70 plus people went down to Egypt because of the famine and they had to go there. Um, to, Joseph said to preserve life. And God already prophesied that they will go into the land. But how did it happen? A famine, 70 people went there, and they stayed there for 400 years. So this is the purposes of God already unfolding. God ordained all these things before the foundation of the world. But at a certain point in time, there was a famine, and they react to it. And there was a king, he, he was friend with Joseph. Hey, you can stay in the land, have uh, possession and things like that. But in Exodus 1, there's another king, another pharaoh that came to power and did not know Joseph, and he put the people to, to slavery. Exodus 1, 8 um, says, an Egyptian, uh, let's read uh, verse 13 instead. The Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So we see God prophesied that they would go and suffer in the land, and now it's happening. But if we read from Exodus 23, sorry, Exodus 2.23, during those days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because their slavery and, their cry, and cried out for help. So they were crying out for help. They were praying, God, we are suffering. God, we are in trouble. We are slaves to the Egyptians. They are ruthless to us. Their cry for rescue from slavery came to God. So this verse gives us, these two verses, 23 and 24, give us two perspectives. One on a human level, one on God's level. So we have how we see things and how God sees things. They were, suffer- they were suffering. They didn't have anyone to deliver them, right? They, Moses came later on in the picture, but they didn't know. They, even when Moses came, they're like, who are you? Like, they rejected him. But their bondage created a situation that was hopeless for them. But they did one thing. They cried out for help. They cried out to the Lord. Their prayers reached the throne of God. So let's, let, let's ask us this question. Do we cry to God when we are in trouble? Do we cry to the Lord for help? I guarantee you, your cry for rescue will reach the throne of God. Because the Bible says their cry reached the throne of God. So they cry for help. They pray, Lord, 
we need help. Sometimes the situation we are going through seems to be an impasse. There is no way out. Cry out to God in prayer. Revelation says that the prayers of the saints are before the throne of God. And they are going up like smoke of incense in golden bowl. Your prayers, they are before the throne of God. Think of any situation that you are going through personally or corporately as a church. We need to cry out to the Lord. We need to be on our knees praying that God would do what he had purposed for this church, for our life, for our family. Our church for the past few months had gone through like some trials and tough times. People have left and that may seem a little bit discouraging, but cry out to the Lord. Don't we have more reason to cry to the Lord? We want more people to join our church. Lord, he says, pray the Lord of the harvest to bring more laborers so that we can go into the field. Um, Brother Jason was sharing with us, the field are all white in the world. And it's an idea that they over uh, ripe. It's like they're ready. Thank you you were sharing with me last week. To pray God that save people in Austin. Save people in our families. So their cry went to the Lord. And we can have assurance that the Lord will answer those prayers. Like Hebrews 6 was saying, like, Jesus is our hope. He's our refuge. He's our anchor. He's the anchor of our soul. And he passed through the veil, meaning that he's in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Whatever we pray for, he hears it. And he can intercede for us. So on the human level, things seem to be hard, hopeless. What, we, what should we do, Lord? They were crying to, to the Lord for something. They cried for help. They cried for rescue. So that was the human perspective, right? That's, we need help. We're hopeless. We don't know what to do. But they prayed. They cried out to the Lord. Now we're going to see the heavenly perspective. And there are four verbs that kind of describe how God sees and interacts with our prayers. Verse 24 and 25. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So God is a God who hears. God is a God who remembers his covenant. He remembers his covenant. God is a God who sees. He sees everything, and he's a God who knows. So God is a God who hears. Verse 24, and God hears the groaning. 
You see, God heard the cry. They were groaning. They were suffering and they groaned. In, the, in Romans, it says, like, sometimes you utter words, like, too deep for groaning. But the Holy Spirit understands that. And somehow interpret that before God. God is a God who hears our prayers. And we should never assume, because we did not receive something that we asked the Lord, that he did not hear us. Like I told you, the prayers of the saints are before the throne of God. He hears them. We don't want to be presumptuous or arrogant. Um, You don't want to say to yourself, obviously God didn't hear me, otherwise he would give me what I have asked for. Now imagine your child, imagine my, my, my children, imagine like, hey, daddy, you didn't hear me? I asked you for this thing. You didn't give it to me it's because you didn't give it to me. I guarantee you, like, we'll go upstairs and have a talk about how you ask with respect, okay? So it's the same thing with God. We don't treat God like, hey, God, did you hear what I asked? Like, we should be humble. We should be on our face, show reverence, because God is a God who hears the prayers, especially the prayers of the saints. Why? Because no, nothing escapes his sight. Nothing escapes um, his presence. He is transcendent. He hears everything. He hears you when you pray. Psalm fifty-five, seventeen: evening and morning and at noon, I order my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. God hears your voice when you moan, when you complain. Proverbs fifteen twenty nine: the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. When you pray, Christian, the Lord hears you. The Lord hears the prayers of the unrighteous as well, but I remember that one of the verse that the Lord used to save me is Proverbs um, 28, verse 9. Your prayers are an abomination before the Lord when you're not a child of God. The Lord hates it. It's like repulsive. 1 John five fourteen, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We need to ask according to his will. Throughout the Bible, the Lord doesn't leave or forsake his covenant people. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you every day until the end of the ages. The Lord promised that he will never leave us or forsake us because he made a covenant. We know he's not a liar that we read in Hebrews 6. Throughout the Bible, we have covenant with the people of God. Remember Noah in Genesis 9:16, When the bow is, on, is in the clouds, the rainbow, I will see it, I will see it and, remember the, and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. So the Lord made a promise with Noah, I will not kill or erase 
leaving creatures with water anymore. I mean, with the flood like he did. And every time we see the rainbow, it's not for the LGBTQ people of our day. It's a covenant that the Lord made with humankind that he will not kill us with the water of the flood. Psalm 105 extolled the eternal faithfulness of God and says, He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commended for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham, what he sworn to Isaac. So God did not forget his covenant with the people of Israel. So God is a God who remembers The third verb, verse 25, and God saw the people of Israel. God, he's a God who sees. Not only he hears, not only he remembers, but he also sees. He sees everything. And sometimes, like when natural disasters strike, you know, hurricane, tornado, earthquake, COVID, people in their pride and ignorance ask questions like, where was God when that happened? This is arrogance and bad theology. We should not pray like maybe God didn't see this. Like I said, God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. He knows everything. Everything. He sees everything. Nothing catches God by surprise. Vodibakom says this, there is nothing that happened at all that he is not in control of. God is sovereign over the whole universe. Ossie Sproul says this, if there is one single molecule in the universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. Nothing not even the single molecule you can think of can escape the sovereignty of God. Nothing escapes God. He sees everything. He created everything for his own purpose, for his own good and for his own will and good pleasure. And God, when he causes us to pray, is because whatever he has purpose in his sovereignty, you want to bring it about, all for his glory and for the good of his people. The people of Israel, they cry, because why? God, in Genesis 15, said, I will bring judgment to these people. And what happened? We have the ten plagues. Moses led them to the wilderness 40 years because of their sin and all that, but they made it to the promised land. God promise was fulfilled. And God sees that whatever he purpose will be fulfilled. God had purpose and determined the end from the beginning, Isaiah 46.10 says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, thing not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. 
God will accomplish all his purpose. The Bible says God created everything for his purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. The sinners, they, wanna, they will give God glory on judgment day when he casts them into the hell or the, the, the place where there is gnashing of teeth, where the worm doesn't die. So we should never ask, where was God when catastrophes or tragedies or hardships strike? Because God is on the throne, working everything for his good and for, for his glory and for our good. God is on the throne. He does however he pleases. He will bring glory to his name, but he will be for the good of his people as well. So he sees everything. The next verb, the fourth thing, God knows. Verse 25, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. The verb know here is about intimacy. The Lord know every detail. You know, like Adam knew his wife Eve. God know exactly what was going on. When we pray, we don't give God good new information. Hey, Lord, by the way, you know little Timmy has a stomachache. No, like the Lord knows everything. We pray, the Lord intervene, and we are encouraged in our faith, and he received the glory. But he knew before we even asked. God knows every detail of our life, even before we pray about it. I'm going to quote again Rodi Balcom. God knows. He knows what you need even before you know what you need and better than you know what you need. God knows. God knows what you can bear even better than you know what you can bear. God knows. God knows what you can handle better than you, can, better than you know what you can handle. And more sufficiently, God knows that your deliverance is coming. That's why we need to pray. Because God sees, God knows, God hears, and he remembers. And he knows that he's going to bring about his deliverance. So the same thing that happened to the people of Israel, like in a spiritual sense, can happen to us, right? Hardship. On a human level, we think it's, there is no way out. The people of Israel saw only the oppressors and they cried out for help. But God was preparing the way for them, for their deliverance. And he raised up Moses. And what happened? With a mighty hand and a strong arm, God took them, took them out of Egypt. So the reason we should pray is because all these um, actions, or for lack of a better term, um, God's 
point of view about prayer. We pray for things, but God put the desire in our heart to pray for these things. God promised he would bless David. He said, you will have some, someone on your throne forever. And David says, Lord, you are the one who put the desire in my heart. David says, Lord, I live in a house that is beautiful, made with acacia wood. But your ark, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, is roaming around in a little tent. I want you to find a resting place. And the Lord told the prophet, go tell David, whatever in his heart, do it. And I will bless him. I will make a covenant with him. And the covenant is like you would have someone on your throne forever. And Jesus came and fulfilled that covenant. The throne of Jesus Christ. Your throne, O God, is an everlasting throne. So now to bring this home. God had purpose from eternity past. God has decreed from the beginning but we see the unfolding of his purposes at a given point in time. And God uses our prayers to bring about his will. We ask for things that he had purpose, and when he answers those prayers, we are encouraged. Remember the promise in Genesis 15. He told Abraham, know for certain, there is a certainty that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs. And they will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. They went there because of the famine. They spent 400 years. And the Lord says, I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they will come out with great possession. You know, when the Israelites were leaving Egypt, they asked gold and jewelry from all their neighbors, and the, the Egyptians, yeah, take them, take them. The Lord purposed it since Genesis 15. They will be plundering their enemies. Pharaoh, God says, for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. That's the glory of God on display. He said in Genesis 15, I will bring judgment to that nation. And Pharaoh was raised for that purpose. Pharaoh hardened his heart, his heart. God hardened his heart. But it was for his purpose. The people of Israel cried, Lord, deliver us. And God says, yes, I'm going to send Moses. Don't think your prayers are pointless because God is sovereign. God wants to use us. He wants to use our prayers so that what he had purpose will come to pass. What is on your prayer list? God will give you desires, things to pray for so that he will bring glory to his name and edify you, build your faith to persevere 
to have hope, to stand on his promises. What are the promises of God for this church? Pastors, more people to come here, go evangelize. I always think like the way the Lord goes church, we see in, in the Bible is like they were in the place, they were, worship, they were worshiping and they were spreading the gospel, persecution. They were growing like crazy because they were spreading the word of God. We need to be about spreading the word of God. Pray for that. The Lord, I love this passage in Numbers 14. The Lord was about to destroy the nation of Israel and Moses interceded for them. But the Lord had promised since Genesis 15 that he will bring them to the promised land. But again, at this point in time, God had a personal interaction with Moses Moses prayed to God so that God remember his promises. I have it here, Numbers 14, verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs and wonders that I have done among them? I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Moses, the most meek man on earth. But Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear it. For you brought these people out in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land, they have heard that you, O Lord, are in their midst, for you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nation who have heard you, who have heard your fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land that he has sought to give them, and that's why he killed them in the wilderness. So he reminded God of the promise and of the oath he took in Genesis 15 and Genesis 22. So when we pray, we pray the word of God back to him. God, remember your promise. Remember what you promised. I'm going to close with this verse. Joshua 21, verse 45. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. So God kept his promise to Abraham. It took 400 years for them to go into Egypt. It took 40 years to wander in the wilderness, but eventually... All the good word of God came to pass. That should encourage us to pray. Pray because God promised to bless us 
and to accomplish his purpose through us. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God is the one building this church. If God is for us, who can be against us? God hears. God remembers his covenant. God knows. God sees everything. Because of that, let's pray. Let's make a habit to pray. We're busy with life, with work, with children, with homeschooling, with keeping a home in order. Whatever it is. But remember, God uses our prayer. God uses our prayers to bring about his will. So let's be encouraged to pray. Amen.